Well, good morning, Harborside family. I hope your Independence Day turns out a little better than Billy's. But this coming Wednesday, we're going to celebrate our 242nd anniversary of the Declaration of Independence. And we are so blessed to live in this country. Don't you think that we are? We are so blessed. And yet our allegiance to our country should be strong, but it should never exceed our allegiance to our Lord Jesus Christ. And while we're here, we still have problems, we still have issues, and we can still complain. But however, uh, in our free country, even though we complain a lot, uh, there's small persecution. But in some oppressed countries, you don't get to complain at all, but there's severe persecution. So in the midst of all the issues that we have, we're not going to talk about that today, and you can rest assured I am not going to make one political statement for the entire sermon this morning. We're going to talk about what is right with America, because there are so many things that are right with America. But if you want to get discouraged, just try to listen to the people around you, maybe the people in your community or on television or wherever, and they would have you to believe that everything is going bad with America and that the churches in America are declining and having less influence and our children are all going on drugs. And Don't believe it for a second. Did I miss the memo? Did God die? I don't remember. See, God is not dead. He is alive and willing and able to help us in all the things that we have. And we have some tremendous opportunities this morning. So I want to talk to you today about what's right with America, what's right with the churches in America, and what's right with Harborside. Several hundred years ago, there was a people who wanted a country. And they didn't know exactly how to do it because they'd never had a country before. During the time of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they were wanderers, but they had been promised this land that if they would only persevere, that God would give them this special land called the Promised Land. At that time, it was called Cana. Now we would call it Israel. And so they had been in bondage for 400 years, and as they were coming out of that bondage and coming across the desert, God gave them some instructions and some guidance. And he said, if you want to be a nation that is blessed by God, here's what you need to do. So we're going to share that a little bit today. It's from Deuteronomy chapter 6, and it doesn't necessarily deal just with Israel. It doesn't necessarily deal just with the United States. It deals with any country that wants to be blessed by God. And here's what God gave to Moses and said to him, this is how it's going to happen. It's found for us in Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. They'd already been given the land. They hadn't possessed it yet. So that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you so that you might enjoy long life. Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Isn't that what we really want? We want it to go well with us. We want to prosper. We want to be in health. We want to see our children grow up in a safe environment. And so he says, here's the way you do it. He says, it begins by this verse, which says to us, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. He's saying to us, if you want to have a nation that is blessed by God, you have to figure out who is going to be your God. 
And he says, the God of Jehovah, the God that I'm talking to you about, he is the God who is going to protect you. There are many competing gods in the land that Israel was about to get onto, the Israelites. There are many competing gods here. And so if we're going to be a nation that is blessed by God, we've got to figure out who God is and what he wants from us. This particular passage of Scripture in verses 4 and 5 is called the Shema. And the Orthodox Jewish people were supposed to repeat this every morning and every night. And it was to remind them that whatever country that they happened to be in, they, their first priority was to serve the living God. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and buy them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Orthodox Jewish people still take this very practical today and do some of these things. We would say in an understanding of this that the very heritage that we have been given, the very freedoms that we have been given, the very things that have made us who we are today, we are to pass them on to the next generation. Because even though we have received them, we have a responsibility to pass on the heritage of our faith to the next generation. Then he says this to us. When the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land with large, flourishing cities you did not build, houses filled with all good things you did not provide, wells you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt from the land of slavery. You know, we are such beneficiaries of the people who have gone before us. We think of that in a military sense, and it is absolutely true. Militarily, we have been provided the freedoms that we enjoy today. But when you look at that scripture, is also a lot of the things that we enjoy today in America. We had nothing to do with. This doesn't deny that we are to have a strong work ethic. But we have to recognize and understand that we have been given great opportunities, great privileges in this land. We have a living standard that is the envy of most people in the world. So then how, he says, do you allow this country to continue to be blessed? And here's what he says beginning at verse 13. Fear the Lord your God. Serve him only and take your oaths in his name. Do not follow other gods, the gods of the people around you. For the Lord your God who is among you is a jealous God and his anger will burn against you and he will destroy you from the face of the earth. Do not put the Lord your God to the test as you did at Massah. Be sure to keep the commands of the Lord your God and the stipulation and decrees he has given you. Do what is right and good in the Lord's sight so that it may go well with you and you may go in and take over the good land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors, thrusting out all your enemies before you, as the Lord said. And just as God gave that to Moses so many hundreds of years ago, he is also saying to us as America, we have gotten all kinds of benefits. We've gotten all kinds of opportunities. Don't forget who God is. Don't forget the fear of the Lord your God. Because when you do and you move away from his commandments and you move away from his parameters, you move away from his boundaries, you get yourself into trouble. So, verse 18 sums it up for us. Do what is right in the sight of God. So let's talk today about what is right with America. 
not all the problems that we're facing, but what is right. And the first thing that we begin with is this. We have been blessed with a Judeo-Christian heritage. Now, many people today are trying to deny that that is true. Some are trying to change it. Some are trying to say it wasn't really that way. But when we look back at the historical records, we find that it is undeniable that when our nation was started, we were started with a Judeo-Christian heritage. We were started by people who came here for freedom, not just freedom from uh, the people around about them militarily, but freedom of religion. Of the 55 original signers of the Declaration of Independence, 52 of them proclaimed a faith in Jesus Christ. Of the first 106 educational institutions of higher learning, what we would call colleges and universities today, of the first 106, 103 of them were started by Christian organizations. And when it came time to develop our Constitution, when it came time to develop the laws of our land, the founding fathers said, let's look at Scripture and see what it says about building a nation. Let's look and see what we can glean from it that will help us. And this is what they came up with. In Isaiah chapter 33 and verse 22, it says, For the Lord is our judge, the Lord is our lawgiver, the Lord is our king. It is he who will save us. Now, obviously, they didn't want a king. They decided on a president. But they divided this into the three uh, separate things that we have today for checks and balances. You have the legislative system, you have the judicial system, and you have the executive branch. But they also recognized that Jeremiah is also true when it says to us, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? So we have to have some checks and balances in this system. We can't allow any of these branches to be the total... um, authority on anything and so we have to do that and so when our founding fathers went to the scriptures they uh, also looked about churches that were being there and this is how we came up with the idea that churches and nonprofit organizations should not be taxed it was found in Ezra and in Ezra it says you are also to know that you have no authority to impose taxes tribute or duty or any of the priests Levites musicians gatekeepers temple servants or other workers at this house of God. What's right with America? We've been blessed with a Judeo-Christian heritage. What's right with America? We have been blessed with freedom of worship in our churches. This is a tremendous blessing that we have. Bill Hybels, uh, the author and pastor from Chicago, says that the church is the hope of the world. I believe that. I believe that the church still has something to say to people. I believe that the church can still help people navigate through this process called life. And I believe that the church is impactful and influential in the things that we do. When I first met Joanne several years ago, she came to church and it was obvious that she came from a poor economic background. She was very shy. She didn't want to say anything. She held her head down. She wouldn't look at us in the eye. And we knew that she had had somewhat of a troubled past. But she had two little boys, and she wanted those boys to be involved in Sunday school and to learn the passages of Scripture and the stories of the Bible. So she brought them. She was living in a home with her husband, who was a non-believer, who was an abusive person. She uh, had a sister who lived with her who was mentally challenged. 
And the husband had sexually abused the sister, and also uh, one of the boys had been abused. And so when she came to church, she was a broken person. And the church reached out to her. They began to love on her. They began to care for her. And some ladies volunteered to go out to her house and help her redecorate it because she was in a very poor economic situation. And over a period of time, Joanne and her sister, uh, Anita, came to know Jesus as their personal Savior. And Joanne wanted to give back. Now, she didn't have any financial means, but she wanted to give back. And so she started a uh, clothing program for individuals to bring in uh, new or used clothing that they could give to the poorer people that came. And we would give it away for free. And Joanne brought her two uh, children to church for all of those years. And they grew up under the leadership of our youth pastor, And when they got older, the youngest child, Scott, decided that he wanted to go to college, which was kind of revolutionary in that household because it was so chaotic and so dysfunctional that it was almost unbelievable. And so he went to college, and after college, he decided that he wanted to go to seminary, and he went to seminary, and he graduated from seminary and became ordained. And today, he is a youth pastor in Georgia uh, at a church proclaiming the good news. You see, the church has something to say to the down and outers. Just a few years ago, Scott had a child that died. And I don't know of anything more traumatic or difficult or brings more angst on our life than a child who would die. But Scott went through that experience, and we would think that maybe that would be an experience that would break someone. But he went through that experience in a positive way, and he continued to thank God and continued to ask, uh, thank for the blessings of God that he had received. And uh, we corresponded with him on occasion, and we said, how did, how did you do that, Scott? And you know what he said? He said, it was the faith of my mother. And he said, it was the people of the church who stood around me and supported me and lifted me up. I am telling you, the church has something to say to people today. When I first met Paul, it was a totally different story. Paul was very wealthy. He had been very successful in business. But Paul, by his own admission, was an alcoholic. And he had also, by his own admission, had recognized that his marriage was falling apart. And when he first came to church, he was in the midst of a divorce because of infidelity. He didn't know what he was going to do. He admitted to us that sometimes in his business dealings that he cheated people and cheated them out of money and misled them and things of that nature. But through the church, we helped him to get into a rehab program. He got sober. He continued to come. He accepted Christ as his Savior. And after he did that, he began to get involved in the church. He began to uh, be involved in our music ministry. And a few years after that, Paul said, I feel the call of God on my life to be involved in ministry. So he went to Sanford Seminary in, uh, I think it's Georgia. It might be Alabama. Georgia or Alabama. He went to Sanford Seminary. And when he did that, he became an ordained minister. Today, this alcoholic who is about to get divorced is one of the pastors, the lead pastor of one of the largest churches in central Indiana that averages over 2,000 people every Sunday. The church has something to say to the up-and-outers. We minister to the down-and-outers. We minister to the up-and-outers. The church is something to say to you. And when people start to tell you that the church is declining, that there is no hope for the church, don't believe them because we have something to say to people. The media would have you to believe that there is no influence of the church in America today. And they'll give you all kinds of polls that try to back that up. But when you look behind the polls, there's some interesting data, and that is this. 
while mainline churches are declining. That is true. Those in evangelical and non-denominational churches are rising rapidly. Now, I hesitate to give you any kind of percentages because the polls are slightly different. But in many of those polls, over the last two decades, evangelical and non-denominational churches have gained almost 300%. But what is happening in America is this. People are saying it's no longer socially acceptable to go to church, so if I'm just going for no reason and just be there, what, why go? But when individuals get serious about their faith, when they get serious about living a lifestyle for Jesus when they get serious about carrying out the commission that God has given them in their life and they begin to gravitate to these churches that are promoting that, those churches are growing and increasing numbers day by day. We know that about 42% of the people in America claim, claim <laughs> that they go to church at least 25 times a year. Now the good news about that is this. That means on any given Sunday, about 20% of the people in America are in church. Now that doesn't sound like a high percentage, but that represents... 55 to 60 million people every week are learning about Jesus. There are 340,000 churches in America. Many of them are small. Many of them are ineffective. Many of them are not carrying out the Great Commission. Many of them are not doing what God has asked them to do. But there are thousands that are thriving. There are thousands of churches that are doing what God wants them to do. There are thousands of churches that are reaching the down and outers and that are reaching the up and outers. And they are doing what God has in line for them. The third reason that we are so blessed is that we have been blessed by Harborside Church. Excuse me. Let me go on. We have been blessed by Harborside Christian Church. Harborside is one of those churches. I want to share a little bit with you. Our mission statement is to help people learn to be in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. So the question has to be, is that happening here? Are we helping people to grow and mature in their faith in Jesus Christ? Well, let's take a look at it. In the year 2017, we don't have the 18 figures yet. In the year 2017... We baptized 314 people. Do you hear that? 314 people were baptized last year. We are not losing. We are helping people to grow in their maturity and their faith in Jesus Christ. We recently had a couple of Sunday nights ago an experience on Sunday night where we produced a recording by our music and production team that literally will be seen around the nation and possibly around the world. A few weeks ago, I had a friend of mine who travels all over the United States speaking and probably speaks in 25 or 30 churches a year. And he said, Tom, he said, your music and production program are as good as any in the nation. We are being blessed. We are not losing. We are promoting Jesus Christ day by day. We know that our missions program, and, and Lisette talked a little bit about that earlier today. This year, we are going to give over $400,000 to missions work throughout the world for the cause of Jesus Christ, to help people mature and grow in their faith in Jesus Christ. We know a year ago or so, about, about 15 months ago now, we started a ministry to, in marriage ministry, and now we have 21 mentors that are helping couples as they prepare for marriage. And, and Kurt always says, we don't do marriages, we prepare people for marriage. We don't do weddings, we prepare people for marriage. Do you realize, just in this last 15 months or so, 
we have mentored 64 couples in the faith of Jesus Christ. That's an amazing stat, folks. That's amazing. We teach them three things. The spiritual significance of marriage. Everybody's in love when you get married. But we teach them the skills to stay in love throughout their married life. And the third thing is we develop a relationship with them. Is it always perfect? No. Does it always work perfect? No. But what we're doing is helping people in their faith, helping people to learn and develop and grow in their faith so that their marriage becomes one in Christ. You know, our Surfside kids each week... Uh, throughout the, this, uh, sanct- not sanctuary, but throughout this building, our safe side kids, which ministers to our smaller kids, we know that they use parents and they use volunteers to set a foundation for these kids to learn the stories of the scriptures. We are not losing. We are helping people to understand what it means to be a believer. You know, tomorrow morning, 49 of our middle school students will head out from here to go to a camp for a week where they will learn to uh, learn to focus in on who Jesus is and learn to develop relationships. 49 of our middle school people. We are not losing. We are winning this battle to help people mature in their faith in Jesus Christ. Did you know that every week over 100 of our high school students leave this campus and go into communities around houses around our community and they're in small group Bible studies where they're learning about Jesus, where they're developing and having their questions answered. We're not losing. We're winning the battle for Christians. We're winning the battle to help people mature in their faith. Last Sunday night, we had a now night meeting, which is for ages 18 to 35. At 150 of those people who came to worship the Lord, who came to find out about who Jesus is and how can they mature and grow in their faith, we are not losing, we are winning. Our small group ministry has over 110 small group uh, that meet in homes and sometimes here at the church with somewhere between 15 and 1,800 people every week who are learning the applications of the scriptures and how to do that. Our senior adults are providing experience and maturity and role models for us. And each week, each week they meet in the Living Stones class. Even at that advanced social age, they meet there in order to learn more about Jesus. We are not losing. We are winning the battle for the hearts of people for Christ. And in spite of all of that, in addition to all of that, we have one of the greatest pastors in the United States in Kurt Parker. Kurt Parker. Kurt consistently, week by week, brings us the Word of God, but not just brings us the Word of God. He helps us to understand and apply it to our life. We are not losing. We are winning the battle to help people grow and mature in their faith in Jesus Christ. Don't let people tell you that Christianity has no influence. Don't let them give you the lie that it's declining. Don't let them give you the lie that church doesn't matter. We are winning. So... Genesis chapter 28, verse 3. May God Almighty bless you and make you fearful and increase your numbers until you become a community of peoples. Just like our nation, Harborside Church is a blending of a community of peoples. I don't know exactly the number, But my guess would be that within this congregation and the three services, we probably have 30 or 40 different countries of origin from where either you were born there or you have your your roots there. But we're coming together. Culturally, we're different. We're coming together even though maturity-wise we're different. Some of you are pre-Christians. You haven't really accepted Christ yet. 
Others of you have just been baptized last year, just starting to grow in the faith. Others of you have been, ba- have been Christians for a period of time, and still others of you are mature Christians for many, many years. We're a community of peoples gathered together to proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We come from different economic backgrounds. We minister to the down and out. We minister to the up and out. We minister to those people in crisis. We minister to those people who are doing well. What holds us together with all of these differences? It is the commonality of our faith in Jesus Christ as our personal Lord. It's the cornerstone around which this church is built around Jesus. And as a community of people, we can have different preferences. We have different preferences about what needs to be done. But our preferences can never override our passion. Yes, we have preferences about music. We have preferences about preaching style. We have preferences about small groups. We have preferences about the temperature. If you want to get the congregation all riled up, Ask them what the temperature in the church was. Oh, it's way too hot in here. Oh, man, I'm freezing to death. Give me, give me a we all have preferences about that. But what we do is we take our preferences and we subjugate them to our passion. And our passion is to know Jesus Christ and to make him known to other people. To lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, before I retired, I was a lead senior pastor for 30 years. And even though I was a pastor of the church... You know, there was a lot of things about my own church I didn't like. You know, that's just the way it is. We don't all get our first choices on everything. We don't all get our preferences. But we come together as a community of people to proclaim who Jesus is. What enables that to happen? There's only one word which enables that to happen, and that is this one. It's attitude. Zig Ziglar says it's your attitude, not your aptitude, that determines your altitude in life. We know that it's our attitude There's one thing that we control in life, and that is our attitude. Our attitude is not dependent upon circumstances. It's dependent upon how we respond to circumstances. Listen to Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. Do you recognize that Jesus was probably the most reviled person who ever lived? He was the Son of God, and He came down to earth... He was ridiculed, he was betrayed, he was laughed at, he was made fun of, they didn't believe him, and eventually they crucified him and put him on a cross. And you know what he said? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. See, he had the most positive, faith-affirming, uplifting, encouraging, forgiving, compassionate attitude of anyone. That's what he asked us to do. We are living in a hypercritical world. We're living in a negative world. We're living in a world where people want to complain about anything. If you listen to them, you will be dragged down by them. But when your attitude is that of Jesus Christ, when your attitude is one of love, compassion, forgiveness, understanding, peace, joy, you will stand out like a beacon in a dark night because people will say, what's with that dude? Why does he have an attitude like that? And our attitude isn't because we think things are going to get better. They probably won't. They might even get worse. Our attitude is because Jesus Christ is the center of our lives and the Holy Spirit lives within us and therefore we can rejoice. Now, if you're not a believer, I understand why you got a bad attitude because things are probably going to get worse. 
But you know, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, think about it with me for a minute. Our past has been forgiven. He says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He says, I cast your sins into the deepest of the seas, never to be remembered again. Do you realize you got a clean slate? Do you realize God has forgiven you? Do you realize he has accepted you as a son of God? You are a son and daughter of the living God. Your past is taken care of. Why shouldn't we have a good attitude? And what about our present? Well, it would be terrible to go through life with no one guiding you. But fortunately for us, The Bible says that I will give you the Holy Spirit, and he will lead you and guide you into all truth. When you have those tough decisions, he'll help you make those. When you go through times like Scott did with with the the death of a baby, you'll be able to go through it. It's not fun. It's not happy. But the Holy Spirit will lead you and guide you. When you rejoice with him, you will be infectious to the people around about you because the Spirit of God lives within you. And then what about our future? What happens at the end? Well, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, and he who believes in me shall never die. We believe that when we pass away from this earth, we take on a new meaning. We take on a new body. We take on an incorruptible body. We take on the pleasures of heaven. So past forgiven, present guided, future is assured. What can we be sad about? What can we be complaining about when we have all of this? You know, it's easy to complain about everything, about our nation, about churches, about this, about that, about all the things that are happening. Why? You know, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I'm asking you to have an attitude that reflects the joy of your life, which is in Jesus. I'm asking you not to buy into this concept that everything is going bad, the church is declining, and everybody's got pro- everybody has problems, but th- that everything is going to pot. That's just not true. All of our kids aren't on drugs, folks. The majority are not. We have wonderful marriages that are taking place. Not everybody's getting a divorce. We have wonderful people who have followed the Lord for years and are still worshiping and praising Him. We are not losing. <laughs> we are winning for the hearts and souls of people because of Jesus Christ. Would you join me?